Welcome back to another episode of Chaos on the Set, a chaotic movie and TV show podcast. We have your three usual hosts here today. I'm Mike. I'm Shruti. I'm Kate. And if you are listening today on the date of our release, February 2nd, then you know today is Groundhog Day. Uh, So naturally, we are covering the film Groundhog Day, starring Bill Murray from 1994. However, we are recording this podcast on Monday, January 30th, because like Michael Scott from The Office, I (laughs) choose to celebrate Groundhog Day privately, uh, so I'm not available. Wait, this I don't film, remember that joke. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, when... it's it's a deep cut. It's a deep cut joke. So when they are trying to compare calendars and plan Meredith's uh, intervention, I think Oscar asks, what about February 2nd? And then Jim <laughs> says, ooh, that's Groundhog Day. And Michael says, I celebrate privately. <laughs> that show is so funny. Okay, back on track. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, so we're covering Groundhog Day, which won a BAFTA for Best Original Screenplay, and it has also been chosen for the National Film Registry. So it's actually a big deal. I didn't know this until today. Um, But I've seen the film before. I think it's a very fun, enjoyable watch to watch on Groundhog Day is sort of in celebration of that. But um, I know for both of you, this is your first time watching it, correct? No. Kate has seen it before. Oh, Kate, you've seen it before? Oh, oh yeah, growing up. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know why I thought it was your first time. Maybe you just... I'm uncultured, rude. <laughs> I don't know. Some of your texts, you seem to have such a, vis- a visceral yeah, reaction. True, I thought you were... that you... It seemed like this I is had, the first time I... you've ever seen it. Yeah, I had, I had visceral reactions because I just hadn't seen it in such a long time. And I think... It was like one of those movies where whenever we do these old movies, my experience is usually like the TV was on all the time when I was a kid and my parents just always put on movies. So I would see snippets of it here, snippets of it there. So I just don't remember the last time I watched this like in its entirety. Um, What did I think about the movie? I don't think it aged well for me that much. Mm -hmm. Like it was fine. I'm not saying it was bad. Like I had a very like pleasant time, but I wasn't like wowed by it and you know, when I was doing research for this film, I just see so many articles saying it's like such a, it's like a legacy film. It's like a cult classic. Like it's such an important movie. Like you said, it's in the national register. And I'm like, why? But I, I guess I get it. Cause now like, so a lot of movies use this idea of like a day that repeats over and over again as like a blueprint. I think Groundhog Day was I mean, to my knowledge, like the first one to really do that. And now you've had like copies like Palm Springs, which we did on our second episode, everyone, of Chaos on the Set. Rewind, go back and watch it after this. It's technically okay. our third episode. Shit. Wow. It's the second episode we recorded, but shit, we don't need to get into the granular details. Basically, just know that I'm more in tune with our podcast schedule than Kate. Oh, <laughs> my. God. Yeah, actually, Shruti called me out earlier because she was telling Mike when we hopped on. She's like, yeah, I was talking to Kate, like, a few days ago, and... Like, she forgot we were recording on Monday. She needs an assistant. <laughs> I didn't mean it as an insult. I, I My sister also means that you just have so much great stuff going on. In your yeah, life, you're Kate, just too you popular. Up with all yeah, I'm playing so much ranked League of Legends. Yeah, Kate, um, did, can... Kate ditched me at the bar the other night so she could play Dungeons & Dragons, by the way. Okay. Wait, which bar? You guys were hanging out without me. He was Are in you New in New York City? No, weekend. you weren't. So <laughs> I could have came. Wow. Okay, anyway, but yeah, so that's my thoughts getting back on topic. 
my thoughts on the movie are mid. Yeah. No, I un- I understand your thoughts. I, I I wouldn't say mine or mid. I really enjoy it, but I definitely a, a part of me doesn't understand like it being as well renowned as it is on on the merits of a of a film itself. Like I don't think it's one of the greatest like rom coms or comedies, however yeah. you would choose to define it. But I do think certainly have to um give a lot of credit for just the I guess societal status or like the yeah the way it fits into like if you say groundhog day as a concept people generally yes. understand what that means and i'm like i imagine at that point in time uh, forgive me if i'm forgetting some roman play that did this idea first but it felt unique right of like yeah, this man inventive. is living the same day for the first time to the point or now when we see that in russian doll in palm springs in death day it is a groundhog day experience i think they literally say groundhog day in palm springs so it's yeah. hard for me to evaluate it as somebody who knows the premise and knows the con- like concept um when it was groundbreaking at the time but for me it's slightly boring you know like when bill murray is first getting used to exactly what's going on and like why is this day repeating and kind of you know in the denial phase of the groundhog day experience as the audience who knows what's going on i was like okay i get it like can you please remember not to step in that ice puddle like i would remember (laughs) it after the first day yeah that one that one really sticks out times i was so annoyed (laughs) Um, but people love it. Like, you know, I checked Letterboxd after I watched it. A lot of critics that I really love have given it four and a half to five stars. And it's hard for me to evaluate it as this, you know, remarkable idea at the time. Because for me, you know, it does feel a little bit repetitive when it's not. It is original. It just, you know, my, it's like, um, my twin sister was reading Dune, the, you know, now Denis Villeneuve classic uh, movie that part two mm-hmm. is coming out later this year and it is you know the archetype for basically all of science fiction and she was reading it and she was like these tropes feel so overdone but obviously at the time it was written they weren't overdone he is yeah. the one that created those tropes so i don't want to sound like you know a negative nancy when i'm like this was so boring but it just felt like that but to you know me what now. it is i think now we've seen people who have taken the groundhog format and expanded on it and made it better mm-hmm. and so i like, think that's, i i think yeah. people would argue with you on that really i fully I think, think so. that palm i fully think that palm springs was a better film than groundhog day oh 100 percent. yeah i mean it's funnier and, I, and it's more philosophical it hits both yes. the philosophical yeah. aspect and the funny aspect better but would it exist without groundhog day no that's the thing i also think though like it also depends on the audience to be honest i think i think for white men like groundhog day better i think for a younger i think for a younger audience (laughs) they people would like palm springs for instance over oh yeah because because groundhog day is the thing that came out when they were younger and so obviously they're gonna like it better everyone likes whatever you know their first experience the genre was um it's an nostalgia but it is it is it is a difficult like i it's tough to argue i think sometimes of like doing it first versus doing it better right because like obviously there's a ton that that is borrowed essentially Um, yeah so yeah it's a tricky 
Oh yeah, when I was watching Groundhog Day, to be, to be when I was watching the film, I was literally thinking about the plot points of Palm Springs and being like, "Oh yeah, but now he's in like the denial phase. Oh now he's in like the suicidal phase. Oh now he's in like the I'm gonna make I'm gonna like make everything better phase and and spread joy. Like yeah, it's the same beats. It's just mm-hmm. like I yeah, it just felt a little dated to me, and I think I was not a big fan of Bill Murray's character. Like I, ne- he never grew on me as a character, even when he started redeeming himself. So I so just should, think I should was we just like... jump in? Should we take him to Shade Court? I well yeah, actually, yeah. sorry. Since we're talking about comparisons to Palm Springs, I would love to dive more into comparisons while we're at it if that's okay yeah yeah Yeah, let's do it well okay so before we get into the comparisons mike since you are a fan of the movie um would you say as you know a repeat watcher on rewatch does it start to feel old like it did for me as a first time watcher of like okay bill murray get with the program this is what's going on or you know does it still feel organic and fun to you to watch him come to terms with what's happening uh it still felt organic and fun certainly i I'm trying to honestly to decide whether or not I liked it better the second time, to be mm-hmm. honest. Oh. Um, oh, so this was only your second time watching it? It's Yeah, it's only my second time watching when it. When was the first time, as a kid? No, a few years ago. Okay. Prior was to... Was it like mid-COVID? Huh? Was it in the middle of COVID? Y- yes. You know why? Oh, interesting Hold on, hold on. Because so many yeah. people, when I was researching Groundhog Day, all of the think pieces about Groundhog Day came out over COVID because they're like, now we're living the same day over and over again. Okay, which that's a stretch. Yeah, thank you. I felt the same way. I'm like, at least we can like build on what we've established instead of... Like, uh, what were these people doing during COVID? Like, I understand we were stuck in our oh, homes, you guys but are gonna... be, be innovative. Like, you know how much... Like, I, we, we discovered so many online games during COVID. I, I had a blast, honestly. Except for like the virus part <laughs> except for the many deaths <laughs> oh yeah. i sound like an ass you no guys... but i understand what you mean I, i'm on the same page as you kate like it didn't feel like the same thing and i also think you and me are in the special situation of being homebody so being stuck at home Hell yeah didn't really hurt fucking loved it you know how much among us i played during that era <laughs> so much yeah you guys are gonna hate my review then on Letterboxd because i literally i literally said Add Groundhog Day alongside Contagion to the list of films about COVID-19. <laughs> I mean, I, it's easy to see the analogy there. And also, you know, especially during COVID when no movies were coming out, you know, writers had to write about something. So I forgive them for going with that analogy. Um, but I just think they're very different situations. Um, okay. Yeah. So second- no, I, I totally, I totally understand. I think, and for me, watching it a second time, it, I know it helped it helped me to like pick up on little things more I suppose and like pay attention to the smaller details and still enjoy the story and the characters and the place like the whole you know rural Pennsylvanian vibe to it is very kitschy and and funny to me um but I'd rather I'd rather not go to western Pennsylvania that's just oh, yeah, me too, neither. Many, too many Republicans me sorry neither, but it it seems like a funny place well, they um, keep saying in the movie that, like, small-town people are just different. And I'm like, yeah. are they? That sounds, like, almost insulting. Like, th- <laughs> we're all we're all Americans, you know what I mean? I don't know. No, not us libs. We're not Americans, really. <laughs> but, like... Big city vermin. One okay, that- Kate, you grew up in, in like, Massachusetts, <laughs> not that, uh, come on, not that urban. <laughs> 
a, a common trope that bothers me though is like the big city person goes to like every Hallmark movie goes to the small town. It's like, oh, this is so much different. This is so much nicer. Which like I understand in terms of like the actual atmosphere, the city vibe is different than the Puxatawney, Pennsylvania vibe. However, mm. the like what makes the people different? Like that. I, I don't know. I call this kind of bump on. Like, these people are still, like, human beings. Yeah, he could have done all this in Pittsburgh. He could have done all this in Pittsburgh. He could have found are the people old, different, Mike? He could have found an old man to give CPR to in Pittsburgh. Come on. No. 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 I, no, I, no, I think the people, I think the people are different. People mold to the, to the places that they live, right? Mm-hmm. And... I think you become part of the place where you eventually settle and take on those characteristics. And and just like, I think people in, in the South and in the Midwest have a different pace of life than people in, in the North in Metro areas. I think they also have, you know, sometimes different values and if in different ways of looking at things and it's, you know, for the small town folk, maybe everything is not so serious and so dreary as Bill Murray makes. I I think there is a difference. I do. I didn't I didn't see that demonstrated in the movie though. They just seemed like like they, there was no small town vibe to me. Like they were just all people who had like different problems. Like, oh no, I'm choking. Oh the Heimlich. <laughs> you're you're, and then, you're, oh, I'm a, you're honing in on I'm the a, choking. I'm a, and I'm, I'm a you're honing teacher. in on the choking. No, no, the man getting CPR and the man getting the Heimlich were two different men, Michael. <laughs> There's just a lot of st- medical emergencies happening in this movie. Are you saying small towns have more medical emergencies? No, sorry, I'm just trying to cause problems now. I'm I don't know talking. why you're. I don't know why you're honing in on the things that he fixes. His issue is with being there at the festival in the first place. That's what it like. Small town. Small towns love this stupid little like festival shit and but having. So do big cities. Okay, you know what, Kate. I'm going to drive back down to New York and, and me and you can go to the Groundhog Day Festival <laughs> in, in Midtown Manhattan. I'll see you there. Bright and early Thursday. Give me a break. Give me a break. Oh, my God. You, you know what? Okay. Break it up. Break it up. Let's get back to the original comparisons to other Groundhog Day movies concept. Right? Because I was listening to this one podcast that was talking about how, like, the rules of the world in this movie are never really explained. Like, in Palm Springs, like... Uh, Kristen Milati's character literally does learns quantum physics and figures out how to game the rules of this world and get out of the Groundhog Day simulation. It is, mu- and you know what caused them to go in. It was getting into the cave, right? None of that is really explained in Groundhog Day. It kind of just starts, and then he becomes a better person, and then it stops. But even that, like, he becomes a better person, like, a good month into the simulation that he actually gets out. So mm-hmm. the podcast I was listening to was like, you know, in that day and age, you didn't need to explain it. It's kind of even better that it's not explained. And I was like, what? I'll, let me cite the podcast. It was the Unspooled podcast. Very good podcast. Gives you very good um, uh, basis about the development and production and, you know, how the film was received at the time it came out. I think it's really great for all of that. However, I am going to push it back against the fact that it makes it better. Like, I think that as cinema has evolved, you know, that movie, Groundhog Day, made the concept of the Groundhog Day movie. And now all the uh, movies and TV shows that are, are repeating that idea feel the need to explain it. But I still think that I would have liked an explanation from the original movie. I don't know how you feel about that. Like an explanation as to why he's stuck? Yeah, why he's stuck and what actually gets him out, right? Because 
if being a good person is what gets him out, why didn't he get out one month into being a good person? Like It was sleeping with her that got him out. But they don't have sex. No, 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 no. It's not sleeping with her. It's this is why I I I thought the sub the romantic subplot was stupid. It's her falling in love with him breaks the curse. Is, is that why, Mike? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that they're finally like connected at the end, essentially. But they, I would say that they connected more the day that she learns about the simulation and like meets him at his level. Like the final day for her is just the second day she's ever met him. Like, she... uh, We'll get more into, like, why is she in love with him because it doesn't make any sense. But while we're talking about the rules of the world, if, if it is her affection for him, I would imagine that she loves him and knows him as, a like, a deeper individual the day she knows he's stuck in the simulation versus that random day that she just sees him do a lot I, of nice I don't know. I think... I, I think the, the moment of them waking up the next day together is, is sort of supposed to be symbolic of of their um their peak happiness connectedness their you know um love for one another because essentially right like that's that's why i i do think it's better in this scenario that we don't know the rules of the world because it's it's lighthearted in that sense and it is about their romance even though like he's kind of a skeeve and a jerk and maybe they fall in love too easily but like i mean aren't all rom-coms supposed to be like light-hearted and not taken too seriously where i i do agree like it can be for- more fascinating when you do have very explicit rules and things are explained and it offers opportunities to have you know chris Miliati learn quantum physics and break out of a cave. Um, But I think what you set yourself up to, if you go that route in a film, is a lot more um, criticism and nitpicking over little things that might not make perfect sense. Whereas maybe, sure, it's easier, but like if you just say, hey, accept it for what it is, you can, I think, focus more on the characters and what they're doing and less on how did he get into this? How does he get out of this? My one pushback against that is I would say the characters in Palm Springs are also still very fully formed, brilliant, nuanced characters, and you do have the rules of the world. I, sure. I will say, I know I, I'm going to defend the film here for a second. Uh, and I know Whoa. I've been being like, <laughs> I know I've been beating like a chaotic gremlin right now, so I know. But, um,. There, so the day where he finally is like, oh, hey, guess what? I'm, like, stuck in a time loop. And she's like, wow. And he proves it to her. She says, like, you know, you're so lucky. Because if I was you, I would use all that time I have to, like, just help people. Like, over and over again, basically. And, and like, make a positive change. And I think he kind of brushes that off at first. But then, like, eventually he does do that on the, his last day in the time loop. And I think... um because she kind of spoke that into existence like that's how that's how you would gain my respect is if you did all that i know she doesn't know that he's in a time loop but i'm trying to throw the film a bone and be like that's why he breaks the curse or whatever it is because he finally like got her acceptance and her love yeah it's it's corny as fuck but and it also doesn't feel like that because at the end of the day it still feels manipulative to me like i wish oh yeah i wish she got out of it when she knew because the fact that she doesn't know and thinks he's just this guy that you know 
gives WrestleMania tickets to a couple that is getting married that mm-hmm. day that he got to town is a manipulation. <laughs> you know, like if she knew, then at least I would buy, oh, she's falling in love with this man and knowing who he is. I, I just, I wish that, I don't want to rewrite this movie. But wait, but I don't think he... I, I think he had resigned himself to the fact that he was never getting out. So I don't, I necessarily don't think he was doing those nice things to try to like manipulate anything. I think he was just doing it because like it just, just makes me feel good to help people now. Like if I can't escape, I might as well like make people's lives, like days better. Yeah. yeah. No, like, you know, I, I don't I think, think he was trying to get out. I think the, the major change in their relationship and him as a person, right? At, at first, he is an asshole and he doesn't care. And he's actively trying to manipulate her, right? And when all else fails, for better or worse, is when he starts becoming helpful and helping people. And that's when they sort of reconnect, I feel like, when he's trying less and not forcing mm-hmm. it to happen. Um, so I, I, I do think that's that's a really pivotal point. I will say, sort of going back to my one nitpick with with the film, but it also really applies to all films that are sort of in this vein is that the daily actions, right? Him helping somebody every single day, like catching the kid falling from the tree and, and doing shit like that is essentially pointless, right? Because it just, <laughs> it, it, it resets the very next day and it happens again. So it's like, yeah, you know, it really, in my mind, it doesn't take effect until the very last day when he gets out. Like that's, sort of the butterfly effect that's when all of his actions take hold but i don't know it gets so convoluted because it's like if he relives this day over and over and over again and presumably all of these other people are going on with their lives what is i guess the effect there is his time stopped as he is reliving this day but I, i think with palm springs it becomes different like the relationship in Palm Springs is is really different once she gets involved and mm-hmm. she also enters the the time warp and is in it with him trying to solve a way out whereas like this yes she learns about Bill Murray being stuck reliving this day but the very next day when she wakes up she no longer knows that information again she it's completely yeah. fresh so and in Palm Springs they almost answer that uh not a question, but, you know, answer that thought experiment of, like, uh, Andy Samberg's character saying, you know, even if everything resets, everything still stays with us. The people we hurt, you know, still stays with us. If you kill someone, you know, that'll stay in your mind. And so, again, wouldn't exist without Groundhog Day, but I feel like Palm Springs is answering those deeper questions that you just posed. See, in, I don't think of- it, it sticks with him, but it, it doesn't answer the question of the effect everything everywhere else. But it, it it does bring into question because the fact that Andy Samberg has been in the simulation for, who knows, 30 years. And Kristen Milotti gets stuck in the simulation one day into those 30 years, which means you can get in. Sorry, we're talking too much about Palm Springs. Sure. Let's stop. I think, I think we are. Yeah. You can listen to that episode. Not the second episode we ever recorded, but the third. They say we're young and we don't
All right, we are back with one of our favorite excitements to do on this podcast. It's Shade Court. Dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Thank you, Shruti. Um, we are. Putting... I don't know the theme song. It's the Law and Order. It's the theme Law and Order theme song. What do you live there under was... a rock? You did not just hum the Law and Order. That's what I did. We, you yeah. know what? It's you were too well, high you know pitched for Law and Order. Okay, Mike, you okay. know what? We committed to it, and you didn't. So it didn't even register in my mind that you were humming Law & Order. Have you not listened to our podcast where we... You know it's what? been a I long time theme. since we've done Shade Court. And I'm wow. not the one I'm, on trial here. I might fight I think Mike you should be, today. though. <laughs> All right. Do, anyway, I gotta calm Dun, down, because I, like fi- I feel like fighting Michael this podcast. I need to, like, chill. Anyway. <laughs> this is the problem when we record so late at night. We're just all loopy. I'm loopy. <laughs> You're not loopy. It's like 7.30 there. Get it together, girl. Shh, give anyway. me credit. It's late. <laughs> anyway, we, we are putting... I'm in New Zealand. It's 1 a.m. No, for me. No, <laughs> you're not. That was your December trip. Calm down. Um, you never adjusted back to the, <laughs> the jet lag. Okay, guys. Anyway, uh, we are putting Mr. Phil Collins on trial what? is that his name <laughs> i thought that was his name so you just chose collins out of a hat phil collins is the guy that made the chars <laughs> connors phil connors yeah <laughs> please keep this in please oh my god you'll be in my heart also that's i've i'm sad that you that's what you know phil collins from his tars he, he's, he's so much listen. more what else is he? I really only know him from. Tarzan. Oh, that movie of the bears. He's not a movie guy. He's a drummer. He's a musician from Genesis. He's had. <laughs> you know how many solo albums he's had? And he's Lily Collins' dad. Get Wait, the really? Fuck out of here. Yes. Lily Collins is a nepo baby. I didn't know that. He's Mr. Emily in Paris. Okay, anyway. <laughs> uh, Holy we're shit. We're putting Phil Connors on trial. Guys, this is going off the <laughs> wheels are coming off. Um. Uh, so Bill Murray's character, we're putting him on trial. Uh, do we think that he's redeemable by the end of the film? Yes or no? Um, they made me intro this segment because I have very strong feelings that he is not redeemable. I think that Phil in this movie is kind of an asshole. And I don't really think, like, I know he does a lot of nice stuff for people in the end, but I only think he did those things because he was thinking about how would like like this girl like me and like oh man i really wish i could like this girl like i could be this man for this girl if i was nice to people maybe she'd notice me i like truly think he's kind of just like shallow and i don't really know if he'll keep the nice guy thing up once he's free from the time loop like i know he's like let's move here we'll rent but i don't think he's actually gonna keep up that like i'm the nicest guy in puxatani thing that he's got i don't know about you guys I mean, before I think we even he's redeemed. Get, before before we even get to what he does to Rita, I I want to talk about how he ta- he goes to that random woman and asks her for her what junior year LA teacher and basically sleeps with her, pretending that you know they went to high school together. First of all, very lucky that she's single, and also I mean this is more of a writer problem than I think actually getting mad at Phil's character because. I think, you know, this was written by a white man who thinks that a woman will just gladly and enthusiastically sleep with a man if she's recognized by a famous now weatherman who wants to marry her, which is not how women operate. But 
the the way that he lies to her so uh you know it it feels really really malicious like it really hurt me and then you know when you finally get to what he's doing with Rita and manipulating her into sleeping with him to the like when we finally get to that final day where they are together and he has the ice cream for her and he's ready to woo her and she's like all right you know i had a great day i you know you're way cooler and more down to earth than I expected but at the end of the day I did meet you a day ago and I would like to leave and he's so insistent she's saying no so many times and he's like no 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 you can't go you can't go just stay and if you like it stay a little longer like it was really disturbing and really uncomfortable for me to watch now Mike defend him well I'm not defending that (laughs) I'm not defending that that's not my argument (laughs) <laughs> don't don't pin that on me. That's bullshit. <laughs> Look, I will say, I will say, okay. I think to a certain extent, not to any particular behavior, right? Because obviously that is all very deplorable, as are many of the things that he does. I do think you are, I don't think you can hold a guy that's been living in the same day over and over and over and over and over again with like 30,000 more overs, right, to the same standard as you would hold an everyday sane person, right? I think to a certain extent, like, this has to have some degree of of mental wear. And honestly, honestly, if the film was realistic and this was actually something that would happen, you would presume if somebody was keeping their memories of living the same day over and over and over again, in the real world, he would probably be like clinically insane by the Mm -hmm. end of all of this. Regardless, I I think that's just a portion of like, as I'm watching the film, like part of me is like wondering about his mental state and trying to think like, what are the, you know, how would other people act thrust into this type of situation where you you really would be, losing your mind i'm not going to defend that behavior i think the the part of is a person redeemable is he redeemable is does he overcome all of that right like i'm i'm not going to sit here and defend what he did i I think i'm going to defend the person he becomes in the end uh partially because somebody has to do it right this wouldn't be entertaining (laughs) if, if nobody did but i i do i do believe like what we see on screen i do believe he is a changed person at the very end. I I don't think he's giving the Heimlich maneuver at the very end still just to impress her. I mean, if look, if you're studying medicine for that long, just to like go through that, that situation just to impress her. I think like that's, that's a lot of, that seems like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work. Um, especially one thing after the next, right? You feel like maybe he could just impress her with a few different things to, like, prove that he's, like, this great guy. But I don't know. The extent to which it all happens in the condensed part of of one day, all of these lives he touched, and I do think he truly cares about it. Um, That's why I think he is at least partially redeemed. I will not write him off completely. Also, to your point, like, the facts that he's telling Rita about the other people in the town, like, 
this person, her deepest desire is to see Paris before she dies. And this person is having doubts about their wedding day. That's not something he, I mean, he could have observed it. But in my mind, he has deeply and meaningfully gotten to know the desires and dreams of all the peoples in this town, which Mm. I think is a mark of a really good person. He's obviously an active listener and... I don't think he would actually learn about that many people. I mean, partially out of boredom, maybe, but you've got to see some kind of genuine empathy if he knows so many deep facts about all of these different people in the town. Yeah, yeah. I think, and it, it, he's all he's learning all good things about them, right? And and helping, um, right? You could it, it, probably just as easily as display your knowledge about all of these people by bringing out. Their worst qualities, much like Michael Scott does in in the roast, he you know he puts them on blast. I think you could take the opposite approach, but um, I think I think in the end, to me, he just felt he felt and looked changed, so to speak. But it's not a free pass about what he did. But I I think he is redeemed. It's not like he murdered somebody. <laughs> oh, he murdered um a groundhog. He murdered the groundhog. Yeah, the groundhog came back to life. He killed the groundhog. Well, you know, maybe he did come back to life, but in that instant, that groundhog felt pain as it incinerated. No, it didn't. So. It was an instant death. It fell off a fucking cliff. <laughs> you think it was it an instant? Yes. Y- no, it exploded. Yes. No, it impacted, then it exploded. So. Yeah, he died he, on they impact. still felt the impact. He died on I think impact. He died on impact. What if? What, what if he didn't though? <laughs> his kappa was detated from his head. Uh, um. It, by the way, that groundhog was not the real Puxitani Phil when they were deciding to film. Uh, they decided not to film in Puxitani, Pennsylvania because it was too secluded for them and didn't have enough amenities in the area. So they filmed it elsewhere, but Puxitani got pissed at them and wouldn't let them use their groundhog. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I learned from the Unspooled podcast. There you go. Yeah, but. and then I heard that that groundhog they used bit like Bill Murray like three times. Yes, he scene. had to get like <laughs> medical attention. Yeah, like to rabies. How much time he had to he get. Got. He had to get like rabies shots. Well, while we're on this topic, Kate, do you want to talk about? how much Bill Murray hated this production in general. Yeah, sure. Let's pivot from Shade Court, where we did deem that he was guilty. Thank you. <laughs> anyway. You want to put him on Shade um, Court in real life for his set abuse We are. We are going to put... We are going to put Bill Murray on Shade Court in real life, too. No. Um, yeah, so there was a lot of contention on set between Bill Murray and Harold Ramis, uh, the director, when they filmed this movie. Um, and keep in mind, at the time, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis were tight. Like, they were very good friends. They had collaborated before on many projects, um, like Ghostbusters and Caddyshack. But during this film, there was a lot of creative differences between the two, where um, Bill Murray just didn't think that the movie was, like, deep or philosophical enough and he was worried that the like overt comedy in it was kind of like uh watering down the seriousness of the film and so they kind of just had a very bad falling out where bill murray did not talk to ramus for over 20 years um and ramus told the av club before because he died in 2014 and he told the av club before his death um I think if you looked at his career, he got tired of being the crazy life of the party guy. That's quite a load to carry, and he carried it a bunch of times so successfully, and he just didn't want to do it anymore, and started exploring this more adult, serious side of himself. 
that's fine. I I'd admired and respected it, and I liked his work in those films. I just had so little social contact with him that I don't have any perspective of any, on anything he does, thinks, or feels, and he gives no clues. Though, when Ramis was actually, like, close to his deathbed, um, Bill Murray did go visit him, and I guess at that point, like, Ramis was kind of dying from some, like, autoimmune disease, And so he could, like, not talk anymore. So Bill Murray went to his house and just hung out with him for, like, a few hours and did most of the talking, uh, according to Ramus' wife at the time. So he did see him before he died, but um, I guess I was just shocked to learn that. I was actually shocked to learn that Bill Murray was problematic on Groundhog Day set and apparently on other sets, too, because it just always seemed like everything I heard of him was very positive. And I actually didn't know this about his falling out with um, Harold Ramis, so... Their falling out makes me really, really sad, you know, to know that two people collaborated, you know, so greatly together and then literally didn't talk to each other until he was on his deathbed after the movie came out. I mean, the original script for Groundhog Day was a lot darker and a lot more philosophical, so I think he thought he was in for that kind of movie. While I understand that falling out, it's the fact that they literally didn't mend things until he was on his deathbed like this puts the don't worry darling olivia wilde florence <laughs> drama in the toilet you know what i, I mean? know yeah and they said that um bill murray was going through uh his divorce of his first wife during filming so he was like really irritable on set he would just like ha- like you know whenever he disagreed with Ram- like ramus he would have these explosive kind of um like outbursts you know and people just said it was kind of a negative experience. Um, and again, I wasn't there, so this is all like hearsay. But yeah, I I found it interesting that Bill Murray was upset about it not being more serious and philosophical. Right? Just because, like, I mean, I get it because he has that perception of he. Bill Murray is a very particular comedic actor in a sense and i think that's why people love him is for his persona so to hear that he wanted to break out of it i guess isn't surprising i'm sure he did get tired of it but it's just one of those things i i think people just assume that oh it's bill murray like this is how he is this is what he does he you know he did snl he does all these films it's so funny though because i don't think he then like tell me if i'm wrong but did he really take more of like a serious path in his career after groundhog day because like what i remember him from growing up was osmosis jones where he's like (laughs) there's like cells alive in his body and he gets sick and whatever i remember him doing both garfield movies (laughs) like he's also gonna actually oh my gosh he's gonna be in the new ant-man that's coming out yeah i saw oh he is i didn't know that him and Michael Douglas. I mean, Michael Douglas has been the other. Oh, movies. I didn't know that. See, I don't care. But I, I just, like, it blows my mind that he, like, cut off this very close friendship because he didn't think the movie was serious enough when I don't really think that he then, like, transitioned to a more well, serious actor. Well, he did more uh, after that, yeah. I think. I will oh, say, okay. I, I, probably why I I'm don't a big fan them. of his work in Wes Anderson's The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, which I think is oh, all okay. four. And in that, he's he plays, like, much more... Of, like, a depressed yeah. character. Great film. Yeah. Also, just while we're on the topic um, of Bill Murray, because th- this is why I was kind of shocked to learn, like, all of these, like, negative things and, like, his behavior on sets and stuff and his falling out with um, the director, because I once watched a documentary, like, five years ago with my dad and my mom, I think. I was just home, and it was on TV, 
And it was a documentary about how Bill Murray likes to just do really crazy random shit. Like, like he'll walk into a house party, like, in, in like, whatever random town he's in at that time. And he'll, like, just go and clean their dishes and then leave. And everyone's like, Bill Murray. And then he always goes, no one will ever believe you. And people, like, so many people online have claimed that this has happened to them. I obviously don't know which are the real ones, which are the fake ones, because I'm sure there's copycats. But it is a thing where people are like, Bill Murray just shows up at random places. Like someone said, someone was in Times Square once eating French fries and and Bill Murray walked up to him and took some of his French fries and then said, no one will ever believe you and then walked away. So it's, (laughs) so I I just feel like I thought, he just right now, I guess in his life, he seems like such like a weird, quirky kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, I think he is like, I think he is like a jokester for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like based on some of the allegations I read regarding his set abuse, definitely some of it, some of it verbal. Um, That's I mean, the phrase nobody will ever believe you is an abuser's phrase. Well, I mean, but but in in the scenarios he was using it in, he was not trying to abuse these people. He was trying to like tell dudes just just kind of do this crazy stint that would like honestly make someone's day and and be like such an outrageous story that people might be like, I don't believe that Bill Murray stole your French fries in Times Square. Yeah, but it seems like like, "Uh you know Harold (laughs) Ramis is not the only one that seems like it has had altercations with him yeah um and it also like from what i've read it sounds like sometimes he he takes jokes too far as well Uh, in terms of like on set behavior and and that sort of thing um you can't trust men sorry mike (laughs) you officially can't be trusted (laughs) i'm just having a hell of a podcast today they say we're young and we don't know won't find out Okay, it's time to get way too granular here on Chaos on the Set. We're going to estimate exactly how many days Phil was in his Groundhog Day simulation. I have a bunch of different websites that came to different numbers, and then I also have a uh, quote from Harold Ramis in a commentary crack a commentary track on Groundhog Day. But let me get your predictions first. How around how long do y'all think he was repeating the same day? So, I'm I'm thinking about it based off the skills that he learns throughout the movie. So, we we it's obvious that he becomes fluent in French. Uh he becomes a master ice sculptor and he becomes a very 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 good piano player. And like I'm thinking of like and he's doing those all like at the same time. So it's not like he's spending like, you know, 12 hours a day playing piano. He's obviously like letting this lady teach him. That's probably for like what? One or two. I would say at max, like three hours a day. He's learning piano, right? When Especially he goes if in, he's he spending a, th- he's spending a thousand dollars, but that a thousand dollars is worth that woman canceling her lesson. Right. Right. right, right. And so, so I- if that, after three hours, like what? $333 an hour. I don't know if that's worth canceling your lesson so I think three hours is a good estimate yeah like I'm gonna say maybe that's what he's doing so let's give him the benefit of the doubt he's doing like three hours a day every single day he goes from like you hear it he can barely play to he's now in a jazz concert (laughs) as a jazz pianist so I feel like that alone to get to like that level would take like two to three years maybe 
I don't know. I've never also never played piano. It's like, what do I know? But then like the ice sculpting that I feel like would take him years to master as well. Like ice sculpting. And then the French, getting fluent in French, like, again, a few years. But he's doing all this at the same time. Yeah, the same time is the tough part. So that's why I feel like he must be in there for, like, eight to ten years, I think. I think he's in there for, like, maybe a decade. Because just, like, all this, and then then he's helping people all the time. And then, like, and then he has a stint where he's committing suicide in every single way that he can. And, like, I just, and he's wooing all these women. And he's learning about all these people's lives. So I really think it's, like, a decade, maybe. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Kate. I think. I personally, I think it's actually longer. Now, I'll let Shruti get into the specifics of some of these estimates, but I know one of the really popular estimates considers exactly what you just said, specific to learning those skills, and they apply the math of, you know, the old adage, it takes 10,000 hours to perfect something. Right. Um, I'm going to cast a little bit of doubt on... 10,000 hours as a number just because yes he learns all of these things to a certain level of proficiency right it's not like he's necessarily a concert pianist I you know it's not like he is absolutely perfect at everything but putting in hours day in and day out especially when you don't have anything else to do right it's not like you know when they say 10,000 hours that's somebody who has other things going on in their life that is also practicing these skills um whereas i think lining up the days one after the next and he can probably apply a little bit more focus i think he would be able to learn those skills in a shorter time span right so maybe maybe 5,000 hours as opposed to right. 10 so that being said knowing what i know the estimate is based off of the 10,000 hours chalking off some of that. I think it's my estimate would be maybe, maybe 20 years. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a long time. While we're discussing, you know, the full amount of time before I give you the answer, I got to raise the suspense, the full amount of time that Phil is spending in the simulation. I read a review on by Alan Seppenwall and Letterboxd that basically describes the five stages of grief Phil goes through while mm-hmm. he's in this um, simulation. And I feel like most, you know, critics and articles I've read on Loud have um, equated, you know, Phil's Groundhog Day experience to the five stages of grief. So there's the denial stage where he thinks he's going nuts, the bargaining stage where Phil figures out he can exploit the loop and do whatever he wants without any consequences, the depression stage where he's repeatedly attempting suicide, and then the acceptance stage where we're discussing all of the things that he does do about learning to become an ice skater or ice... <laughs> Chipper. Ice sculptor. <laughs> sculptor. Chipper. Sculptor. <laughs> uh, learning how to play the piano and doing all these things, you know, just for the betterment of himself. Which I thought, you know, after reading that review, made me enjoy the movie a lot more and recognize it as the five stages of grief. But anyway, to finally deliver the timings. So the Harold Ramos commentary track says that he was in there for about 10 years. I don't know if he was just, you know, speaking candidly. I don't know how much he thought he had actually put into it. It was just him. Speaking on a commentary track, there's a website called Wolf Nards. Oh. Um, this was from the Unspilled podcast, but on, they cited this Wolf Nards website that said he was in there for eight years, eight months, and 16 days. Don't know the logic they came to to get there. Um, and then there's specific. another website called The Movie Truth that says he's in there for 4,576 days. Uh, I don't know what that is how in many? years. I think yeah. it is. Hold on. <laughs> Let's do 4,000 by 3. 300 and that's probably like 
That's like 15 years? 14 years? It's 12 years. Um, oh, years. Uh, 12 and a half years. Sorry, mom. My mom's a math professor. <laughs> well, Kate, also please cut out all of the silence in between me putting it in my calculator so it looks like I'm a genius at mental math. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. And then this is the site that took into account the master piano player and ice sculptor timelines. And that said it would be 34 years, so, which is the longest amount. What? I don't, I don't know if no maybe way. this website Cap. is trying to, like, maybe they're not factoring the amount, that, the fact that he's doing them all at the same time and that he really doesn't need to account for, like, eating and yeah. basic and, like, life needs. The only thing that he does that day is he has to um, go and report. I mean, there's days where he doesn't even, you know, he doesn't even have to go and report the news in the morning. He could just fucking go somewhere by himself and no one will ever know where he is and you can just practice all these skills. Yeah. You know? So, he has no responsibilities each day. So in the Wolfnard's estimate, which is eight years and like eight months, whatever, um, I read that they were estimating that those particular skills, ice sculpting, piano playing, those took roughly three years um, mm-hmm. to, to perfect. However, that was prior to the, the 10,000 hour theory taking hold, which is what the, the 33 year estimate is based off of the 10,000 hour theory. Um, and I did a bit of math, and if you apply the 10,000 hour theory to the three year estimate of the Wolfnard um, guess of eight years, um, to be able to perfect piano playing in that short of a time frame, if we're going off the 10,000 hours, he would have to be playing piano for 10 hours a day. Um, Okay. Right. So I do think it makes sense for the timeline to be a, a little bit longer because even if, you know, he is doing things simultaneously, there still are only so many hours in the day. I don't know. And also, but, uh, like, what's my, the rush? Like, What's the rush? Yeah, Phil exactly. Phil is probably not in any desire to play piano for 10 hours a day. Yeah, so. there's going to be days where he's not really feeling up to giving full effort, you know. So that's why I think it is a little less than the 33 years, just because, like... You know, maybe he doesn't need the full 10,000 hours, but still, it, it would require... And again, this is the full time he's in it. And so, the the piano playing time is just the last stage of grief. There's still yes, all the and, other things. And also, like, there, it was proven that there are things that he learns, like, off screen, like, uh, flicking the cards into the mm-hmm. hat. He mentions that, like, well, if you do this, like, for five hours a day, for, like, this many days, you'll become yeah. an expert. He so said, it's like, yeah, he said okay, it, would ta- it took him, like, six months. So if it took six months just to flick cards, you know. It's like, what else is he learning to do? Mm -hmm. Like, useless shit when he was, like, going through that, like, depressive episode where he's just, like, you know. Yeah. I will say between between the four or five stages, you know, um, I will say I would assume the acceptance stage is significantly longer than the other ones, right? Like, we don't know how many days he spent in denial and bargaining and depressed, but... You know, the last stage, acceptance, you would assume that lives on in perpetuity until all of this sort of ends, right? Like the acceptance being the final stage, that one is what keeps going and that's how he's able to try and do all the different things. So I wouldn't, you know, I I wouldn't assume that maybe the other stages are similar time lengths to the acceptance stage. But it it is a fair point that, you know, obviously uh, he... 
you know, there, I've seen estimates that take into account the number of days on screen and the number of suicide attempts, right? Like, so, like, some of the earlier stuff in the film. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm sticking with, like, 20 years, more or less. I think 33 is a bit much, but 10 might be a bit quick for all that he accomplishes. They say we're young and we don't know, won't find out All right, it's time for our favorite Chaos on the Set segment, the Chaotic Comments Corner, where we're just going to rapid fire go through some of our thoughts in the movie. I will go first. Um, Who turns on the shower when they're already inside the shower? Me. What? (laughs) Me. I do, too. Are you guys serious? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, sorry, context, in case it's been a while since you watched the movie. Bill Murray has, like, terrible experiences inside the shower because he turns on the shower and it's freezing cold and he screams and gets out, which is, like, obviously just, like, a comedic gag and it's there for the visual. Like, I understand why it's there and that's the only reason I thought they had him turning on the shower in the shower. But I guess this is a thing people do. You guys? Yeah, no, I I don't... I get in the shower and then turn on the water. Me too. Yeah. I guess you guys are environmentalists. <laughs> yeah, it's you can't like, be wasting just... water. Wow, I it's thought just like a I, quick. I think you got. We'll, we'll do a poll about this after the episode airs because I, I, I think I'm. I think you guys are still the anomaly. I think no. I think we definitely are. I guess it also depends. Um, I will say I don't do it in my home. I do it all the time. Mm-hmm. But I guess like. Depending on the shower situation, like if I'm at a hotel or if I'm at a, you know, someone else's house, maybe I'll start the shower beforehand. But like my shower at home, I can, you know, adjust the the head and stand back far enough that I don't get wet when I turn it on. And then that allows me to play with the water temperature until I get it how I want it to be. See, I don't have that privilege. And also additionally... My shower does take a minute to heat up, so I know not to get it immediately because I know I will have a Phil-esque experience where I'll scream and jump out. So I just wait. <laughs> wow, you're much wiser than I am. <laughs> Do you just stand in the freezing cold water, Kate? Maybe. Wait, are you serious? I mean, sometimes I just take cold I showers. The they're, up. they're really good for you. Kate, how long does it take for your shower to heat up? My shower heats up, like, right away. Oh, okay, so... I know what to expect. If it's a shower I don't know what to expect, I won't stand in it. But if I know how to work that shower, baby, I get right in. <laughs> All right, Sorry, what's your next chaotic corner comment? Um, I wanted to read off my favorite quote from the film that got me a hearty chuckle out of me. <laughs> and it was when, um, what's what's her name? Rita. 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 Rita said to Phil, I could never love someone like you. You only love yourself. And then Phil said, that's not true. I don't even like myself. Give me another chance. I felt that. (laughs) So I love to make cocktails that appear in the film. Like if I know they're going to be in the film. So like if I watch James Bond, I'll make a martini. If I watch The Big Lebowski, I will make a white Russian. Uh, well, so obviously the signature cocktail in this film is sweet vermouth with with a twist, 
And I gotta say, it is the all-time worst movie drink I've ever <laughs> Wait, had. So can you remind you know good. for the audience who may not be that aware of bartending skills, what does with a twist mean? It just means with a lemon peel. Oh, so it's just sweet vermouth with a lemon peel in it. Yeah, you get a little bit of uh, a hint of the le- like. I love I love a martini with a twist because it, it imbues the lemon in the gin just slightly. Uh, but the sweet vermouth with a twist was was not good. And then I poured a little bit of lemon juice in it to amp up the flavor, and it was a little bit better. It's more balanced because sweet vermouth is pretty sweet, but it still was not good. Like horrible. If if. <laughs> Somebody I was trying to woo ordered that cocktail. I would have given up. I would have met someone else. Mike, you're very judgmental about drink orders, though. I'm judgmental about everything. <laughs> you would leave somebody for ordering a Chardonnay. <laughs> I tell you what I definitely would leave somebody for. <laughs> and I'm going I'm to offend so many people. If they drink, <laughs> they drink milk with dinner, I'd be like, see ya. Oh, no. What? I, I understand that. Sorry. <laughs> it's horrible. That, oh, Especially if it's weird. pasta. You need to... Ew. Do you know a lot of people that do that? Yeah. Um, growing up, that I, I, they used to make me drink milk with dinner. Why don't you just drink milk in the morning? I don't know. It was like, hey, drink your milk at dinner. Kate, grow up to be big and strong, which didn't happen. <laughs> All right, sure do. What's your next one? Oh, I was pointed out, um, this was also by a podcast, that the first taping that Phil does um, after he does the taping and it goes, you know, fine, Andy McDowell says, want to try that again without the sarcasm, which is basically what the plot of the movie is. He keeps having to try it again without the sarcasm, and I found that very interesting. It's a good one. Catherine, do you have any more? Uh, This is so specific. I was, like, triggered by the beginning of the movie where – when he's doing the weather and he goes, let's go into the five-day forecast. Then you have to wait until the graphic covers the screen and he's not on camera anymore so we can move to the desk and then sit down and then they can put the camera back on him. <laughs> I, I was a news producer in college, as you guys know. We all worked at that cursed TV station. So um, it cursed. just made me... I know it's, it's such a crazy. niche comment. <laughs> but but oh like God. it just gave me such like PTSD when he was like, they were like moving him to walk towards the desk and then getting the shot. I was like, oh. Oh, let me tell you, it's a lot more work actually moving to the desk and situating. Oh, okay, yourself Michael, we get it. You had to walk. Okay, through. I was talent. I was talent. Oh, he says that in the movie too. He goes, I'm talent. I technically I was both, but I preferred being talent. Um, <laughs> of course you did. Yeah, hundred percent. I loved all of the film references in groundhog day which i thought was like so such an odd choice is like this you wouldn't think of it as a film that's going to have all of these references to other films but like you had the him dressing up like clint eastwood from uh, his dollars trilogies days uh thelma and louise driving the car off of the cliff like there's these small instances throughout the film with odes to other great pieces of cinema that i found to be really interesting okay question for y'all do you think post this whole imagining that Phil and Andy do indeed stay together, does he eventually tell Andy about this years of hell simulation that he was in? Like, would she believe him, though? That's the like, issue. Is The like, only time that like, she does believe him is when he can actually prove it, and there's no yeah. one who can prove it. But you would hope that, like, if you have enough love in your relationship that you, that would, you would believe. Tell, yeah. Yeah, that would just be a hard thing to keep to yourself, I feel like. I think eventually he would tell her and only her. 
It's, yeah, it's just so traumatic, I feel like. I And then here's yeah. follow-up, sorry. I know I'm kind of cheating, sneaking too in here. But if there was a way for him to be able to have her regain those experiences, like just like see like a video, would he do it? If that proves it to no. her. But then that also shows her how terrible of a person he was. <laughs> like it's not even uh. just him being actively terrible. She would have to re-experience or re-watch herself experiencing her finding his dead body many times. So mm. at that point, do you just keep it quiet? Anyway, Kate, what's your small. next chaotic comment? Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. But wait, how was how would the video exist if the day repeated? It's it's just like this just is like a good could. place Janet situation where she can yeah. just give you your memories. Oh, okay. Maybe Janet was behind the Never time loop the it. whole time. <laughs> um, this is my last chaotic take. Um, when he's trying to like sleep with uh Rita and he's trying to get to know her so he can like, you know, bed her as one does. He says or he's like, Oh, like you didn't do broadcast or journalism and she goes, Believe it or not, I studied eighteenth century French poetry <laughs> and then he says, What a waste of time. I agreed with him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's fine to take it as a multiple classes, but I understand laughing at that major to just that occupation, you know? Like, I, I wouldn't consider somebody an asshole for having that reaction. If you study that literature as your I'm major, somebody... I feel like you're, like, a professor, you know? This went a lot yeah. better than I thought it did because I thought you guys were going to be no. like, hey, I mean, that that rude. one is super specific, but I will say, like, my major has hardly any impact on my poli sci well okay but on your profession poli sci is very useful um like who needs 18th century french literature gag me sorry um now if it was italian literature i i just hate the french it's where this all kind of gets down to yeah uh okay my final question is if you were stuck and you had the choice. Obviously, he doesn't have the choice because the radio just starts at 6 a.m. every day mm. and is playing I've Got You, Babe by uh, Sonny <laughs> and Cher. If you had the choice, how, like, you know, setting your own alarm, what song would you wake up to every day? And this is a tough one because I think it's less about what song you love and what and more so, like, what song are you going to be less annoyed by? I, I genuinely thought you were about to ask us what time would you want to be woken up. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I don't think it matters. 6 a.m. sucks Yeah, ass. 6 a.m. is brutal. I, I guess. I have a song. All right. Just so you know why I love this song, it's 2018. <laughs> Kate Wyatt is sitting in her first screening of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. The credits are roll, and you just hear... I gotta go hard, I gotta go oh hard, no, 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 no. I gotta go high. Gotta go hard, gotta go hard, I ain't got time to waste, I ain't got time. I gotta go high, gotta go high, I gotta elevate, I gotta elevate. They wanna fight, they wanna fight, I'm just gonna let them hate, I'm just gonna let them hate. I gotta go high, gotta go high, I gotta elevate, I gotta elevate. Elevate from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, it's the credit song that plays during that movie, is such a f- that's, fucking, that's a loud start. I want to wake up to that. I want to just like, get up and go. Ah! I think you would eventually, but I think you would just hate the song. No, absolutely not. I mean, I think you probably hate any no. song you listen to. No, not that one. That well, so times. here's the thing: the way I approach it is, I would want a song that I enjoy, but something that like kind of mellows me into no. the day instead of just like startling. You don't understand. Me you don't understand. Away. This song is like 
whenever I'm trying to walk through heavy foot traffic in New York City, I put that song on. And I'm, yes, and I'm that walking. is very different than the song you yeah. choose to wake up to. You're going to wake up depressed <laughs> to it. No! I'm going to wake up and yes, be like, Yes, you, there's no, no way you're getting through no. this simulation okay, without I'm going to wake up Kate. and I'm going to be like, well, thank God I get to hear this song again. Let's do another on day. Time. On day 9,543, <laughs> you're not going to be depressed. Give me a break. Can we do a little game here? Can you change your um, alarm song to that song? And I guarantee you after a week, you'll hate the song. I don't use a song. I use that thing that goes, Okay, well, you have to change it now to that song okay. because we have an experiment. To well, run. then I have to buy yeah. the song, though. I'll, I'll oh Venmo you. Actually? I think, it's, right. I think it's worth it for the experiment. Actually. Well, okay. my song of choice would be... Okay, wait, but before we move on from Kate's, Mike, will you split the cost of this um, <laughs> song for me to do? I really, I. How much is it going to cost? Like a, three dollars? I don't I'll know. I'll check. A song. I how much does Mike, song you cost? you agree with me, right? That after a week of waking up to the song, you would not like the song anymore. Well, not a week, but okay, two weeks after a while. By the next I don't know, time, my we dad. Were, my dad next... wakes up to the same song. It's a dollar thirty. For like three months straight. Okay. Can we make this bet? By the next time we record the podcast, okay. I'll pay you the dollar thirty. I bet you that by the next time you record the podcast, I'm not going to say you won't like the song, but I will say you won't like waking up to it. Okay. You'll have already regretted it. Okay. I yeah. really like I think, this song. I think I could, I think I'd like it after two weeks. I'd give it like two I'm months. I'm telling maybe. you. It's an I'm just warning you. I love the song. I know like the whole rap to it. Like I'm just I warning get it. you. But still, I like a lot even, of songs. Even if it's, I wouldn't want to wake up if, to them. Even if Kate could listen to it for a year straight, like that's still a drop in the ocean of the length yeah, of this but, simulation. But so. you know what? I'm never going to live in a simulation for that long. So you don't oh, know Kate, that. you NPC. just jinxed it. Anyway, guys, um, I have okay. I have a confession. I've already recorded this podcast episode nine thousand five hundred and twenty-seven <laughs> times. Okay. This is why I'm so unhinged. Oh my God. No, it all makes my sense. My song of choice would be Once in a Lifetime by the Talking Heads. It is very strange and odd and eclectic, and I feel like I would have a different reaction to waking up to it every single day. He goes, this is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. Oh, I know that song because it was in David Ehrlich's um, video for the top 25 films of 2020. That is such a nerdy thing (laughs) for you to say. (laughs) The only songs I know are from movies and TV shows and David Ehrlich's top 25 film videos, which brings (laughs) me to my answer. I think I would like to wake up to the Westworld theme song. It is a song I enjoy enough that it would bring a smile to my face when I woke up, but, like, melodic enough that I wouldn't be, like, startled out of my sleep like Kate will be for the next two weeks. At one point, though, would it make you depressed that Westworld was canceled? No, Westworld needed to be canceled three years ago. Oh, okay. Well, maybe you could spend all your extra time in the simulation writing a better script. Oh, and then Lisa Joy will fall in love with me. They say we're young and we don't know. Won't find out till we grow. 
Okay, so before we wrap things up, or as we wrap things up, Groundhog Day predictions this oh, right. year. right. I forgot we were doing that. Punks is Honey Phil. Will he see his shadow? Will there be more winter? So, to clarify, seeing yeah. his shadow means more winter. It's, it's really, it's really stupid. Okay, I think, I would honestly, as a child, I would get stressed about this. Because yeah. I would think that going to spring meant it would be warm sooner, yeah, and too. that's all I wanted. And so I would be so sad when he saw his shadow. But because I think pessimism is the route to go, I think he will see his shadow. Yeah, I. at least here we have not had as harsh of a winter as we typically do. So it leads me to believe that spring will come early, but at the same time I feel like we're maybe due for it to get a little worse. So I, I, I'm i going to go with longer winter, more six more weeks of winter. Here's what I don't understand. How, how does seeing his shadow equate to longer winter? Because if he sees his shadow, it's insinuating that it's sunny out. I think it's a metaphorical thing, like a shadow is a symbol of more winter. Okay, guys. Okay. I think. And also, is there a shadow? Because in real life, is there a shadow? Because they the mayor just talks to him and says, "Oh, he yeah, saw he, it." No, yeah, he's a he's a he's a gopher whisperer. No, nope, yeah, a groundhog he, whisperer. It's not. It's not. Can you see the groundhog's shadow? Is has Puxatani yeah. Phil seen his own shadow? In which case. The mayor needs to ask right. him because I he doesn't sense. know. He's going to see his shadow because on Thursday in Puxatani, it's going to be sunny. And sun creates shadows. I'm a genius. Yeah, and you know what? Bill Murray incorrectly predicted the weather, and there's going to be a cold front coming uh, through, and it's going to snow. I'm not Bill Murray. So. I don't abuse people on sets. Anyway. Oh, my God. <laughs> Enough of this. I also predict see his shadow. So let us know what you think. Tweet us at Chaos on the set. And on that note, let's wrap things up here. Mike, do you want to do us the honors of telling us where people can find you first on the internet? Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd at mricardi. And that's all I care to share right now because we need to be done with this. You can find me on Twitter at Kate underscore Wyatt. I have a letterbox, which I now use, but I'm not allowed to share it because Mike said that he would tell Pucks Upon a Pill. <laughs> pill. He, would, <laughs> he would tell the, the, the fucking groundhog to um, chew my face off. Also, you keep claiming that you use it now. I have not seen you log a film since you've said that. You didn't fucking log Groundhog Day. I, I'll tell When'd you, you watch the it? last movie. Because you didn't log it. <laughs> It's not in your diary. You ain't using jack shit. I watched it, I watched it yesterday. <laughs> then log that I shit. I just reviewed. I just, I'll tell you what I just reviewed. I, I, my recent activity. Okay, you can follow it, me it on Letterboxd at Shruti Marate, but okay, I'm sorry. I know we've gone really long, but I need to tell a story. The other day I was getting coffee with an old friend and we were catching up and we were talking about, you know, the Marvel movies that had come out and talking about future Marvel movies and the shows we've been watching and the movies we've been liking and the Oscars and all that stuff. And when we got up to go, this woman came up to us and said, I'm so sorry, I was just eavesdropping on your conversation and I loved what you were saying. Are you guys on Letterboxd? Ah! And then she followed us both on Letterboxd. Did you plug the podcast? I, I forgot to question. plug the podcast, but maybe oh, the, maybe I can... What I'm the sorry. Fuck? I realized after the fact, I've been telling literally everyone I know this story because it's the most amazing thing that has ever happened to me. Um, and I was telling the story for maybe the fourth time yesterday, and I was like, oh, shit. I probably should have told her I had a podcast. 
Yeah. When I go have. to really like specific film screenings, like in New York City, we went to one that was like in 35 millimeter. And then you can like look at the most recent reviews and you s- can find like other users that were at the same thing and, and log it. And then well, like yeah, afterwards, really you, you hear them like conversing. They're like, are you on Letterboxd, bro? And I'm like, and it's, I'm like, over here. <laughs> yeah, I am. No, honestly, Letterboxd is the best social media for that reason. I love being yeah. able to, and I, I followed her back. We like had a great conversation about movies after that and we followed each other back and I hope we continue to connect and maybe she'll find the podcast one day, but it's great to just be able to like literally see what your friends like about a movie, except when they don't rate them and then you have to text them about it. Michael. Uh, anyway, you can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Mike and then you can follow the podcast on Letterboxd, Twitter, and Instagram on all three. We are at Chaos on the Set.